right. Uh, well, since you have a you have a practice to cover later today, let's get started, Eric. Uh, good. W- welcome to Call and Shots. I am Seth Partnow of the Athletic and seventeen other places. Um, <laughs> I am joined today by a very special guest, uh, perhaps one of the people I talk to either or communicate with most frequently on a daily basis, but rarely in recorded form. Uh, Eric Name, the Athletics uh, Bucks beat reporter. Eric, how are you? I'm great. That is crazy. We we really we create a lot of content for ourselves, um, and we very rarely make it public because uh, all we do is talk about basketball um, and basketball adjacent things. And uh, yeah, I mean, this is maybe like the third or fourth podcast I think I've ever recorded with you. Um, so yeah, it's wild. Um, and the reason it's not public is there are uh, we're protecting the uh, the takes of the guilty. Um, you know, I think neither Eric, neither Eric or myself are, are shy about offering takes, but there's some people in our group chat who uh, probably can't be quite so yeah, publicly right. free with their opinions. Sure, sure. So um, I don't even have a good segue. The Bucks. What's going on? What's up with the Bucks? I so here's the. It's interesting. The Bucks have kind of been up and down this year, and for most of the season, it's kind of been shoulder shrug they'll be fine. I would say that over the last month, the number of perplexing and large losses they have, have started to make me a little worried. Am I wrong to be so? I think any worry around the Bucks is completely rational. As long as Brooke Lopez is not on the floor. Um, and yet, it's also completely irrational because you know that at some point Brooke Lopez is supposed to get back on the floor. And when Brooke Lopez is on the floor, they're going to get back to being one of the best defensive teams in the league. And they'll get back to, you know, they're still going to be great offensively, but they can do different things offensively. Like they can just become the champs again. So I do agree with you. There is this strange kind of dissonance where uh, for so many years, or I shouldn't say for so many years, but the last three years covering this team, it was like, yep, that's who they are. They got it figured out. They're going to be very good. Their numbers are going to be elite across the board, and they're just going to pile up a massive net rating, and that's just how this team's going to be. Granted, last year they did do a little bit more experimenting uh, on the way to preparing themselves for a championship run, but for years and years and years, you knew the Bucks were going to, I mean, essentially, I, I put it in my story today, um, you know, with the just kind of like a general update as we get ready for basketball again once uh, we get back he- here from the All-Star break. But, you know, if you go through the four factors, the Bucks control those things very well. Um, that's just like what Mike Boonholzer is about. Like, they're going to focus on protecting the rim defensively uh, and because they have a seven-foot mountain of a man in Brook Lopez and then the league's most insane They're going to just, they're just going to dominate. They're going to dominate at the rim, and then they're going to grab every loose rebound. Uh, so you're not going to get any second chance opportunities. So you're going to shoot bad. You're not going to get second chance opportunities, and they're going to be great on defense. And on offense, Giannis is the best offensive engine in the league right now. And if you want to argue that he's not the best, then a top five offensive engine in the league. And then when you have Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton, if you're looking at secondary offensive engines, top 10 for both of them as well maybe 20 if you really want to pick nits um but they're just going to be very good so all of that still exists uh you know they still are very good with when the big three is on the floor but as you've mentioned with the big three on the floor they've had some big losses recently and honestly i think when when you talk with chris and you talk with Giannis, i think the big thing is uh they've they've had enough of doing it all um it it's a different thing. Giannis is still a spectacular defensive player, but it's a different thing when you have to do the jobs of both Giannis and Brooke. There's a reason why Brooke exists. There's a reason why he's worked out so well in Milwaukee. It's just a lot to do on that end of the floor. And then Chris Middleton, offensively, you know, it's just piling up. Uh, Chris Middleton doesn't miss shots badly, and he hasn't started to miss shots badly. But 
Chris Middleton takes a lot of jump shots. And if his legs are just a little bit tired and he changes his shot just a little bit, then all of a sudden you're going to have the two for 12 night that he had uh, in their final game before the all-star break against the Sixers. Like that's just kind of how, how Chris Middleton's always been. So for me, I, I do, I think kind of understand the larger idea of, Hey, um, as soon as they get everyone back, they're just going to be the bucks again and everything's going to be fine. But, the All-Star break is not the midway point. The All-Star break is the three-quarters point. The Bucks have played 60 games, and Brooke Lopez is not back yet. So, it begs the question, like, okay, um, is however much time Brooke Lopez is going to get on the floor going to be enough for him to be ready to go? Um, is, is his back just going to be fine? He's a very large man. Uh, large men that get back surgeries tend not to look like the version of themselves before that back surgery. Hi, hi Serge Ibaka. Um, th- those things just just don't happen overnight. So uh, I think it's it's totally logical not to be worried and then uh, in the same breath be insanely worried about what this team is going to be because if you don't have Brooke Lopez, I don't think you're winning a championship. You're just going to get into a spot where every series you're in is a toss-up because you have the best player on the planet in Giannis Dedekumbo. But... Outside of that, you you don't have all the other things that you're used to having. You don't have all the other ways that you used to win on the margins. It just has to be this dude's the best player on the planet, and he's going to win this thing himself. So let's. I mean, it, it, so since that's that is the sort of swing point, um, I I've remarked to a number of people that the level of sort of. Uh, talking to people kind of who aren't in Milwaukee, it's like, oh, I don't know if Brooke Lopez, he might be out for the year. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. And that's never really the sense that I've gotten from anyone here that there's real concern about that. Um, and part of it is, is from talking to you a lot. But like, so, you know, um, you know, it, what can you say about what you know about, you know, what uh, what kind of his prognosis when he's coming back is? I mean, I don't think we're going to, like, share any state secrets here or anything, but, like, the the reason why I sometimes don't totally connect with the Bucks front office is because they are an endlessly optimistic group of people. Um, and th- that is not always my way. Um, I can be a bit of a pessimist. I can, uh, you know, find the the small problems that are, uh, that are around and, and you know, the, the questions in my head and those are the things that I ask. And, you know, I just remember like at when Brooke, they decided Brooke needed surgery. You know, I asked someone in the front office, like, um, I hate to say this because, uh, you know, I am a Brooke Lopez evangelist. Um, but like, is there some chance that Brooke has this surgery and, his career is over. Like he doesn't get back on the floor again. And the, the reaction that got was like, are you crazy? No, he's like, he's going to be totally fine. And I was like, okay, like that, that's, that's fine. Like, but I'm just in my brain. That's where seven feet tall, 290 pounds back surgery. That's where my brain goes, especially after 13 seasons in the league at age 33. Like, there's that real possibility that, you know, maybe he doesn't get on the floor again. Uh, and was that, ne- like, too negative? Yeah, probably. Like, I probably went to, like, you know, the the furthest example, but that's just, like, where my head went. And the immediate reaction was like, no, you're crazy. Um, and then, you know, throughout all of this, it's been, yeah, Brooke is going to be fine. Uh, you know, talking to people in the organization, they are very confident that he's going to play regular season games. Uh, as I just noted, there are 22 of those left. Um, I, I don't have any doubts that uh, they do believe that he's going to play in regular season games uh, because that hasn't changed. And that's how they feel about kind of everything that's going on with Brooke. And, you know, week by week and when I ask the same questions I get the same answers like yeah he's going to play in the regular season and you know we think he's going to be good to go by the time you get to the postseason but the tough part is um, you know I can look really good in one-on-zero exercises uh, on one versus an assistant coach exercises um, three-on-three church league 
all of that stuff. I, I can look good in all of that, but that does not simulate what it feels like to drag Joel Embiid up and down the floor for 25 minutes on a given night. It, there's just no, it doesn't matter how big the grad assistant you got from whatever power five conferences. It doesn't matter how big that dude is. You're not simulating Joel Embiid. And I think that's where the real problem lies, at least in my mind with Brooke, is that I have no doubts that everything is going well. And from everyone that I've talked to, you know, he's on the right path. Things are going well. There haven't been setbacks. Everything's great. But he hasn't played five on five yet. And that to me is where the problems will begin. Um, and again, I'm not saying like there's going to be problems, but if there are going to be problems that present themselves, they present themselves in five on five, not in the, the scheduled exercises that you have with, with the athletic training staff. So we've been talking about this topic offline for basically the entire season. And this is by far the most concerned I've heard you. Um, you know, it, it, it um, I'm going to put words in your mouth here. Um, I'm always but, very comfortable with that. That's all. Yeah, I know. I know it's uh, but um, it, <laughs> it, uh, would I be wrong in saying that you are worried that there are people in the organization who are, who are wish casting a little bit. That, um, I, I, so for me, that's always, I've always thought that, I mean, maybe I haven't done a good job sharing that with you. I think there's always been, um, you know, like a sunshine and rainbows perspective to, a, a, a monster man getting back surgery. Like I, 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 I will just never feel comfortable um, with that. So maybe I haven't done a nice enough job sharing that with you. Um, but I've always thought like that's fraught. Um, like you're, you're basing it on an assumption that like, Oh, back surgery is fine. It, you know, it wasn't serious or, you know, whatever it was like Brooks said, they shaved a bulging disc down and okay, fine. Like you don't think that's a serious back surgery. So everything's been great. Um, but to me, it's always been like, yeah, it should be fine. Um, but also I think more than anything for me, um, is in my brain, I was thinking prob like with the way people talked about it, I thought March would be the time where we'd see Brooks start to clear like major hurdles to getting back on the floor. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure on the date. It's, I think it's the 24th. Um, we're four days, we're four days away from March and I don't get the sense that that's happening you know, at this next Monday or whatever it may be. Um, and they're, they're frankly, you know, like time is running short and you do, I think, especially with this injury, probably need some ramp up period. Um, and honestly, I think on top of it, the fact that, um, you know, in, if you look at the column I wrote before the trade deadline, um, you're aware of conversations you and I have had to me, if I'm the bucks and this might speak to just how many wings were available on the market. Um, but to me at the deadline, if I was going to trade Dante DiVincenzo, my goal is finding a big wing that can take some minutes on Kevin Durant, because that's how, uh, you know, I can control some of the other things on my roster. Like Brooke is going to come back. And Brooke is going to be Brooke or Brooke isn't going to be Brooke. Um, but to me, if I'm taking my odds and moving them as high as possible, I need a better big wing. Because right now, every Bucks wing is the exact same size. They play roughly the same positions. They defend roughly the same ways. Um, They're on roughly the same injury report. Right, <laughs> right. Like, you're just looking at, you know, a, across the board, the same player like five different versions of it, but it's uh, the same player with different, you know, you switch in one feature for the other. This version of anonymous wing shoots the ball. Well, cool. This one slashes better. Okay, whatever. Um, but they were all the same. So for me, the fact that they use that one asset and the one asset that they had was Dante DiVincenzo. They use that asset to bring in Serge Ibaka, who, uh, obviously, his uh, to me, his best days have passed him by. Um, uh, he hasn't been quite the same since his back surgery. But I think that's but that's he, that's clear. It's not just a, it's it's the the bigger question is does he have any days left? Sure. So like you brought that in, and the the role that you're trying to fill 
is to me what the Brook Lopez role is. In, in an ideal world, with the teams that you're going to play, you need a three-big rotation, which is exactly how John Horst started this season. It's exactly how John Horst got through all of last season. It's exactly how Mike Boonholzer has coached this team for the last two years. Three bigs. That's the rotation. That gives us a chance to play the Giannis at center lineups. Uh, that allows us to close in different ways. But we don't have four mouths to feed in the big man rotation. And with Serge Ibaka, I don't, I don't think the Bucks are all of a sudden going to start playing four bigs. Uh, the, nothing would suggest to me that when you push Giannis's minutes per game up to 36 to 40 on a given night, that all of a sudden you're going to be like, oh yeah, you know what, we got, we got a spot for three more big men. That to me doesn't, that doesn't make a lot of sense. So Serge Ibaka is taking essentially what would be the Brook role. Because if Brook comes back, if Brook is healthy, you don't need Serge Ibaka. Brook Lopez is better. Brook Lopez can do all of those things. And to me, that was just something that uh, we haven't seen Brook Lopez yet. Uh, you know, we haven't heard, you know, a substantial update that he's going to get on the floor at the start of March or anything like that. Just that at some point he's going to play in the regular season. Uh, and then you look through this roster and it's like, okay, well, you got Serge Ibaka because there has to be some level of fear that you're not going to get Brooke Lopez back. And, and maybe that you put all of that together and that might be, you know, why you get the, the change in tone from me. Um, but as I've told you online, offline before, um, if Brooke comes back and is Brooke, the Bucks are the favorites. Like, I, I just don't think other teams can compete with them, but it requires Brooke coming back, and he hasn't done that yet. So it's a lot to unpack. I, you know, I think we've disagreed about this. Like, I, I have kind of thought that he, I agree with you that, you know, in most situations, like a three big rotation is probably what they want to do. But thinking situationally, specifically, um, if you play Philadelphia, you would like to have one more big body. You just would. Um, and that's, and that's, you know, for a team in the Bucks circumstances, you know, you mentioned wanting to get a big wing to, to soak up some possessions on Kevin Durant. I feel like it's, it's, those are similar, almost similar level of, of, of needs in terms of, of balancing which one you're worried about. And, you know, as you said, the, uh, the only kind of big wing who uh, moved at the deadline was Tory Craig, who um, that didn't work. Not, out. not, not an option uh, <laughs> in, no. in Milwaukee. Um, so, you know, that, yes, you would have preferred that, but that not being available, you know, getting a, you know, now whether or not Ibaka has enough left to even give spot minutes in a playoff matchup is a right. question, but that was, that was how I sort of interpreted it because I sort of agree with you that like, you know, you have to make all your moves assuming Brooke is healthy because if he's not, you're done. So right. like, you know, act as if, and, um, cause I mean, if you're, if the move is being made that, well, maybe Ibaka can replace him, like. Nah, <laughs> like right. I think, I think that, like that's just that's 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 that is not realistic at this point, given the last couple of years of his career. Like basically, given his his post Toronto career. And you know, I wrote about it a little bit today, um, at, over at the Athletic. But like, I, I think part of um, getting a big wing as well is I'm thinking about Durant minutes. And I, 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 I can see where you're coming from. That like, hey, you know, extra minutes to cover Durant versus extra minutes to to cover Embiid. You know, those can be at least similar. It, you know, maybe it's not exactly apples and oranges, but like whatever, it, it's similar. I, I can go along with that. I think one thing that I've struggled with it all year because I think. I think some people realize it and I think some people don't. I think some smart people realize it and some people don't. And I just think there's maybe a bit of a misunderstanding about how the Bucks did it last year. Because when, you know, when I saw like, you know, the push all of your car, push all your chips in the table moved, um, you know, it was, oh, go get a guy like Miles Turner. 
because, you know, he can protect the rim and he can shoot threes. And, you know, that's what you're missing without Brooks. So, yeah, package Brook and Dante and whatever else and, you know, go get Miles Turner. And I, I just, like, found myself listening to that and, and seeing people talk about that and, and wonder, like, did, did you take any look at all at, at Brook Lopez's numbers last year? Did, did you did you look at what he did in the postseason? Like, did you did you actually like beyond even watching the games? Like, did did you just take a cursory glance at his statistics from last season? Because I think if you do, you realize that the the jumbo splash brother, um, you know, like the the big man that shoots threes, like all that, like, that wasn't what Brooke Lopez was during that championship run. He was a battering ram. I think he took something like three threes per game uh, in across all those games on pretty much similar, uh, on similar minutes per game uh, during that run. What made the Bucks really tough last year was that their defense was incredible. And, and the defense was incredible during that run, in large part because they could do different things. They had P.J. Tucker around. That was helpful. That was great. Um, but Brooke Lopez was on the floor a whole lot. Um, and he was doing the things that I mentioned at the start of this podcast, controlling the glass, keeping people away from the rim, uh, you know, essentially taking away all of the easiest of points on the floor. That was what they did. The Bucks put up this incredible defense performance. But then offensively, what they did was, we are going to beat the shit out of you for 48 minutes because we got someone in the dunker. Sometimes that's going to be Brooks. Sometimes it's not, but we got one person in the dunker and then we've changed our running habits so that instead of running down the floor on the sidelines, our guys in the corner who oftentimes in the postseason was PJ Tucker and Brooke Lopez, they're going to run back out through the elbows. And if there's a sliver of a chance that they can get an offensive rebound. They're going for it. And you're going to have to box their asses out. And you're going to have to do that for 48 minutes because PJ Tucker can't do anything else offensively. He, he, his job is standing there. His job has been standing there for a long time. He's not going to do anything else. Uh, maybe this version of the Miami Heat has something to say um, about, you know, what PJ Tucker can and can't do. But that version of P.J. Tucker was going to stand in the corner and he's going to hit the glass. And that's all he was going to do. And Brooke Lopez was going to be all over the glass. I think by in the postseason, their offensive rebound rate went up to like 30%. They just did that all game. They picked up cheap fouls on Trey Young and Kevin Herter. Uh, they picked up cheap fouls on, uh, I'm trying to, let's see, what net did they do it to? Like There was just all of that. Like They just made you work. For all that time and they could do that because they were massive and that's another part of why I think having a big wing is helpful because even when you go small ball with Giannis I think you want another big body in there you don't want it to be Chris Middleton at power forward because for all the things Chris Middleton does really well beating the shit out of you for an offensive rebound that's just not what he's going to do um, so having that other guy, and, and maybe there is an argument that Serge Ibaka is that guy, right? Like maybe you can argue, play Giannis and Serge together. Serge can do some of those things. I just think the big wing spot to me was so important because I don't know if people realize that it wasn't just the defensive part of it. It was offensively. The Bucks kind of changed their identity and, and just made it where they were this mauling physical offense. And it was ugly. Like, go back and watch some of those games. Drew Holiday starting nights 3 for 13, generally not having much flow. Dude's missing all sorts of open shots. The three-point percentage is tanking. It was ugly, but you had to be locked in for the physicality of Giannis at the point of attack, and then any shot that went up, you had to box out because otherwise one of those dudes was going to go grab a rebound. No, I think that's a great point. That's, that's I think, from an offensive standpoint, even though the offense wasn't always sort of clicking on all cylinders, though I think that was as much about just a, a pretty poor run of shot making, which is, you know, frankly, something the Bucks are susceptible to, given that they 
outside of, of, of Middleton don't really give a lot of minutes to really yeah. high level shooters. Um, or at least haven't in the past. Um, but the biggest thing they did was, I think, as you're saying, make use of the fact that, you know, like they'd gotten in the regular season for his, his first, you know, couple years with the team, they'd gotten a lot of mileage out of Brooke being a, a spacer. Yeah. And they, they had kind of, I thought, I thought at the time, uh, that they, that, that we and they left some, some something on the floor by not, <laughs> you know, taking advantage of, of, you, I mean, you know how much I love a duck in. I was like, just gonna say that yeah. there was some thought that this podcast series should be called the Duckin' with Seth Partnow instead yeah. of uh, Colin Shots. Colin obviously plays better uh, on the pun with that app, but you know Seth Partnow loves a Duckin', and I don't know how many texts, uh, you know, over the years I've gotten just of seeing a random Duckin' in a game and you being like, "Hey, were you watching?" Clippers, Grizzlies. Did you see Valanciuna? Oh, no, I missed that one. Seth. Sorry, my bad, man. I, it's just I'm 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 the I'm the ducking hipster apparently. No, but I think that's that that is the that is a, a really a a oh, kind of a fundamental change in in terms of how they 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 deployed Brook Lopez in the playoffs. And you know the place where I think it came to best fruition is closing out the Atlanta series. Absolutely. Um, you know, there was was that it was that game five in the Atlanta series where Brooke had thirty some and just had you know took turns putting various hawks into the rim with the ball, um, and and like they had they had no answer for that, and that's that's kind of how the the Bucks survived to advance. That was the biggest reason the Bucks were able to advance, kind of without Giannis available, that and Trey Young getting hurt. But I think that they would have had a a pretty good shot at winning that series, kind of through the same. Um, same approach, just because yeah. you know, Clint, you know, Clint Capella, he's not big enough. And nope. uh, uh, yeah, uh, uh, for as as much as we're both fans of Anyeka uh, Okongwu, not big enough to to yeah. deal with with Brooke Lopez kind of deciding, okay, I'm going to be 290 pounds and stand right at the front of the rim and reach up and grab the ball. Yeah, and the the thing about Brooke is obviously like he has such a slow, awkward game that he doesn't have the explosive moves that pick up charges. Um, you know, he's able to finish with touch and through contact when, you know, a foul maybe that should have gone gotten called doesn't get called. Um, so, like, again, like, when I, when I kept, um, you know, hearing, like, oh, Miles Turner or whatever, pick someone similar, Mo Bamba, whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But, like, when I heard those names, I was like, okay, right now, if I run five post-ups in a row, how many times are they scoring? And if the answer is one or two, it ain't going to work because Brooke is going to score three or four times in that situation. Like, and that to me is, like, the big thing that, again, I think a lot of people do realize it. I also do think the more I hear people talk about the Bucks the more I wonder if they realize how the Bucks actually did it last year. Um, and, and the story I wrote today kind of comes down to, like, the fact that, um, you know, if the Bucks want to win the same way um, as they did last year, they got to start controlling the paint again. They, they got to start, start dominating at the rim. They got to start doing a number of those things. And as we've seen over the years in the NBA, the landscape can change quickly. Maybe they're not going to win that way this year. You know, they have a guy like Grayson Allen um, who really shoots the crap out of the ball uh, that, okay, maybe they're going to go smaller this year. And maybe it is going to be more about their shot making and their offense and not as much about their defense. Um, It's just, you know, you have to figure those things out, which is why I think, you know, these final 22 games are really interesting for them when in most seasons, uh, the last 22 games of a season are a wasteland. Uh, you know, we, you and I have talked many times about how these games don't really mean anything um, because you got teams tanking, uh, you got new guys trying out new roles. So when whoever it is comes in and puts up 25 and 5 after the All Star break, and everyone is citing that as the reason to give them a big contract, it's like, well, you know, that wasn't actually like real. That was post All Star break. Basketball. Fake fake games is, is sort of the the uh, the nomenclature that we like to use about that. But yeah, um, 
Okay, so moving on from so from from the Lopez situation, you said something interesting earlier. Um, is is you know de- de- describing how Giannis and Chris Middleton, and I would imagine True Holiday, are. I don't know if fatigue is the right word, but they're they are they are not interested in having to do everything for the rest of the season. Um, first of all, I think that's good. I think that's a that is a that is a sign of growth. Uh, on the part of <laughs> of especially for for Giannis, yeah, um, and I think that's the, that's the kind of thing that like sort of the the almost the post championship maturity that you know it's it's it, this is the kind of thing that is maybe a problem for the NBA, but uh, a a good thing narrowly for the Bucks is, is players of that stature realizing okay, I can if I can be great at ninety percent through 90% of the regular season games. Yeah, there'll be, you know, eight, 10 games a season where it's time to dial it up. Right. But that's, that is more, that is more useful to winning a championship than going 105% for 82 games. And okay. that is something that is relatively new for Giannis Antetokounmpo. Yeah. And I was going to say, it's, there's going to be people that hear me say that and say, what the hell are you talking about? Giannis just played the whole game against the Lakers and scored 44 points. He put up 50 against the Pacers. That dude is not taking any plays off. Like he, he is still playing hard every single night. And my, my pretty obvious counter is like, that ain't the hard work. Scoring points against the Pacers ain't hard. Scoring points against the Lakers ain't hard. I mean, to start that game, Chris Middleton followed up a block by Giannis by dribbling down the middle of the floor and finishing a layup. I think it might have took six seconds. Um, I'm probably exaggerating. Sorry, Chris. Um, But it was slow. They were terrible. Like, it's easy to score points against those teams when you're as talented as Giannis. It's hard to also play really hard on the defensive end and close that game out by the third quarter. And and that's kind of what you're seeing. So, yeah, I would agree. This is it's it's a real sign of growth. I keep kind of going back to... Um, you know, the first one-on-one I had with Giannis this season um, in one of my stories at The Athletic was like, you know, we're sitting there talking and I was like, you know, I think in the past what you would have done was say, you know, screw this, we're going to win tonight. I'm going to go score 45 and fly around on defense and we're not losing this game. I don't care if Brooke and Chris and Drew are out, like we're going to do that. And he was like, yeah, you're right, but who remembers game 12? Even you, Eric, won't remember game 12. Like, that, that's not going to – no one – so why should I kill myself for that? Like, why should I go out here and, and put everything I have into that? And I agree. It's like a real – it's a real bit of maturity, which I think has been, like, part of the reason why this season is really difficult to judge from a Bucks perspective because not only do you have the Brooke Lopez part of it, I think you also have all three of those guys kind of realizing that, like, hey, we've, we've got the championship. Uh, you know, after, after the Bucks won the championship, I, you know, I had told multiple people, both on podcasts, in stories, in person, like, wherever you found me, like, what are you going to tell these guys? Like, you're going to tell Chris Middleton you're not good enough to be a number two on a championship team? Well... Go look at that. What, what that ring? What? How do we? How do we get that? Oh, because I scored twenty three points in a quarter. Because I scored twenty in another quarter, and I put up forty in both the finals in the Eastern Conference. Final. Oh yeah, right. I'm not good enough. Like, what are you going to tell him, Drew Holiday? What are you going to tell him, Brooke Lopez? What are you going to tell? Like, you're not going to tell these dudes anything because they have what they have from last year. So, like, I think when you compound Brooke Lopez being hurt with that level of, you know, caring or not like, and and it's not like these guys like losing. It's just like, yeah, I I don't have anything left to prove. Like I did it last year and when I need to do it again this year, I'll turn it back on. And and that just isn't something that we've seen from that, like from this team. And I remember telling uh, Kellen Olsen uh, when we were in Phoenix for that Suns game, um, I was like, that Suns team reminds me a lot of like the 1920 Bucks, where they knew exactly how they were going to win every night because they had done it the year before, but come up, they came up short. And then 
every single night they were trying to prove to everyone, like, we should have won last year. We should have gone further last year. And, I mean, the honest truth is it doesn't matter what you do in the regular season after you disappointed in the postseason, but it, it doesn't feel like that on a nightly basis. You feel like it's a referendum every night, and you need to prove the, to the world that you're good enough. And the, these guys on the Bucks this year just don't have that this year because why would they? They, they already proved it on you know the highest platform last year. They don't need to do that this year. Sure, and I think it's it's it, it's it's a point worth making that you know we're not talking about not playing hard, but there's a difference between playing hard and like you know you said Giannis said I'm not not kill myself like you know there's there there there's playing hard and then there's playing at like maximal intensity. There's and, degrees, of course. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's part of, you know, if you want to say this is part of why an NBA season is too long, it's right. just not it's not possible to go in, in today's game with the amount of movement, the amount of space, uh, the speed of today's game. It's just not really um, – it's not really plausible to expect someone to play, you know, okay, normal players probably going to miss a game here or there. So 75 games, 35 minutes a night at – like quote unquote playoff intensity. That's just not going to happen. No. And, you know, now teams try, and those are the kinds of teams that like have really good regular seasons and then don't have the extra gear in the playoffs and, or are a little tired for the playoffs. Right. So now it's, but the, the, obviously the, the, like the, the question is, are you like, is it, is it playing hard enough to still be playing hard? And that, and, and for, like, I, I don't think there's been maybe a few games, especially early in the year, when it like everybody was out for the box and it was like Giannis would look around and see like Jordan Wara and 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 J- Jerome Robinson and not Jerome Robinson um Justin Robinson yeah uh and and whoever else was on the floor and be like <laughs> and it's like this tonight this is like like it's not 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 turn an ankle tonight um but that those are are are, are kind of few and far between um so i and to, one of the other topics I wanted to touch on was uh, you mentioned, you know, when you're one-on-one with Giannis this year and, and kind of your rapport with him and other players. And over the All-Star break, uh, one of the things that really made a lot of waves was Adam Silver kind of announcing and then walking back the notion that kind of the locker room access, which has been curtailed um, during the pandemic, might that might be sort of a more permanent situation. Now I'll preface this by saying that I, you know, even even in my time in the media, I've never been a post game locker room guy. So I, I, I've literally never done that as a media member. Um, and and but it it seems to me that that's a kind of a it's a if to the extent that there's a problem being addressed, it's the wrong it's it's solving the wrong problem via uh, a solution that makes everybody worse off. So. Can you, you know, describe the ways in which, you know, being in that sort of setting allows you to, to give fans just some, some insight into, you know, what's going on in a way that, that is, you know, useful for peaking interest? I mean, so I, I think like the, the easiest and simplest way to explain it is so right now we get two or three players on brought to us in the media room, uh, you know, and they speak on the stage on, on the zoom call, um, after games. So to me, I think like the easiest and simplest way to explain this is let's say the bucks are in a game against, uh, the New York Knicks and it comes down to a final inbounds play on that inbounds play. I would want to talk to everybody on the floor from the bucks from the guy that triggered the inbound to the guy that ultimately got the ball to the guy that was involved in that primary action to the two guys that were involved in the secondary action. So I can understand what was supposed to happen on that play and then what ultimately did happen on that play. If I get to talk to three players 
I don't get to do that. Period. There's no discussion. I don't get to know what all five players were supposed to do on the floor on that play. And in the opposite locker room, my guy Fred Katz, covering the Knicks, would go and do the same thing. So in just a single moment, the most important play of the game, the, the play that led to a game winner, because of not having locker room access, we can't do our jobs and we can't inform fans of what needs to happen. Because let's say the five players on the floor were Giannis, Chris, Drew, um, George Hill, and Jordan Wara. After a game, I'm going to get Giannis, Chris, and Drew because they're the three best players and they scored the most points. If I make a request for Jordan Wara because he's the inbounder and he only played three minutes that night, either I've wasted a request on one of the three players that we get to talk to after the game because that's the only thing I want to know from him or I'm going to get turned down and said, you don't have any other questions for him. Let him go. Like, that is, that is to me, and again, like, that doesn't even get into all of the other stuff. Like, just from, that's the simplest basketball play, the simplest basketball way I can explain to you why locker room access is important. Like, I want to know what happened on the most important play of the game. Because I'm not in the locker room, I don't get to know that. And you, as a reader, or, or as a consumer of a podcast, or a consumer of my YouTube channel or whatever it might be, you don't get that because I'm not in the locker room. That says nothing else for the relationships that you can actually build with people where let's say I'm trying to confirm details of something that I've heard and you said something that could be conceived is somewhat controversial okay, I'm going to let you finish your session and then I'm going to come over after it and I'm going to say, hey, you said this thing. I just want to like make sure that I have it right in you know, what you actually meant there so that I'm not misrepresenting you in any way because you know, like, you're a human being trying to communicate with me, trying to commu- communicate with me and I'm trying to communicate with you. So I want to communicate this as clearly as possible to whoever's out there. We are not given those opportunities when you're just handed a microphone. Maybe you're actually given the microphone for the entire time. Uh, maybe you're on a Zoom call and you're muted. Maybe you don't get that microphone back. Like there, there's just all of these things, like from the most simple to the, like the most complex, like relationship management. Um, you know, like who's hanging out with who on the team. What are the jokes that they're making about Chris Middleton? dunking or not dunking you know who's able to get in on that joke or who doesn't feel comfortable making that joke uh because you know they haven't been with the team long enough like that that is like the complex stuff that is like you know when we talk about really being able to you know have like relationships that's like the deep level stuff for me it's just so offensive that like you don't even want to let me do the most basic thing like, if you don't want me in the locker room, you don't want me to get the most basic stuff right. And and that, to me, is kind of where I get bothered by. Because I'm just like, I don't, I don't totally get what the goal is if you don't want me to be able to, like, do the most basic part of my job. Like, it's just like a level of respect that just isn't shown for us when our goal is to help players, to help coaches help teams get understood at a higher level like and maybe other journalists don't feel the same way or don't care about that but if you're a beat guy and that's what we're talking about we're not talking about letting Stephen A. Smith in the locker room or whatever hot take artist you prefer we're talking about the guys that are in there grinding it out every day trying to get as much information about the team that you love not being able to do their jobs. And that to me is honestly where it, it, it just bothers me because it, the way it's framed is, I, I don't know, like the, you're a distraction like, sure. about like, Oh, the guys changing. You don't need to be in that room. Like 
are you trying to suggest I'm a pervert? Like what? What? Like no, that isn't something that's been a problem forever. So like, what are we even talking about? Like, it's just, it just creates all of this stuff where, uh, okay, you know, if players don't like us being in there for however long, fine. Like if, if you changing is really a problem, it's not like, it's not, but if it really is, if that's really the problem, I'll stand outside and then let me in and let me do my job. That to me is the thing where it's just like, I'm in there to do my job. And if players want to take a long time to get ready or, you know, take extra time in the shower or whatever, like that isn't my problem. I'm there to do my job. And I don't know, it, it, all those comments just like came, came off to me is, is really disrespectful of like the work that, that I do and, and all of my colleagues do. So let's, let's back out a little bit. Um, like obviously frustrating on a, on a personal professional level for you. Why, why should a, why should fans care? B, um, why is this, why is this line of thinking a mistake from the perspective of the league? I'm, I'm going to assume that's your opinion on it. Uh, it's, it's my opinion on it, but it's, but I'm going to go ahead and assume that that you think that that this kind of thing is a mistake for, from the league. But but so why should fans care? Why should the league care? I mean, I, I think fans, from as I said, kind of at a base level, the information you're getting is not as good. You're not you're, learning as much about your team. Um, in, in these situations, like for me to do a feature about the eighth player on the roster, it. I'm not gonna say it's impossible, but like it's a lot more difficult when in you know the, a normal world with locker room access, as players are getting ready, I could be like, okay, well, I want to write this story about George Hill. Um, let me talk to Pat Connaughton and Justin Robinson and you know Sandra Mamukelishvili. Let me talk to those guys and get a better feel for what George Hill is all about. And that's going to give me more background for the other questions I might ask. And that's just going to give like a fuller perspective. So from a fan's perspective, the information you get about your favorite team is not as good. That's, that's just the facts of us not being in a locker room. And obviously we've all found ways to, you know, do different things and try to work around it. But my work is, has suffered. Like that's just the reality of the situation. Um, and, And then as far as players, for superstar players, I don't know that things change a whole, a whole lot, right? Like, you, in normal times, you're still going to do media every night. And, you know, that's that's not changing whether we're in locker rooms or not. For you, I can get it. But if you're anyone below the top two players on your given team it is going to be better for you to have information about you out. It will allow fans to connect with you. It will allow opposing teams to understand you better. It will allow everyone to find out about what you do off the court and make you more interesting and help your brand and do all of those things. So, you know, I don't know who Adam Silver was talking to. That feels like, the concerns of superstars that, oh, you know, like, let's just, let's just do Zoom. Everything's going to be the same. I think it's for the rest of the roster. Like, the rest of the roster, it's, it's better for you, us, for, for you to have us around to help you, you know, create your brand or, or create your, your own thing or, or create just general knowledge of who you are and what you're about. Like, if you just trot out the three top scorers on most nights, most teams are going to have the same guys. Um, and that's going to lead to us not having as much uh, information about you and, and you not being able to tell your own story. And I, I just think to me, like for the players, I, I just think it's, it's massive to have real relationships with 
with the media and, you know, have the opportunity to like tell your own story. Cause if we don't get access and, and you know, we don't get the chance to have those conversations with you, those things don't happen. And, you know, like 10,000 foot view from the league standpoint, um, like the league's business is drawing interest and people are trying to give you interest and you're saying, no, no, we don't, we don't, we don't need, we don't need that. We don't, why would, why would we want people to, to engage more with, with our players and, and especially in, in the, in the setting of, of, of the game that just happened, which is, you know, I, I had, uh, uh, I've had both Nate Jones who uh, recently who, who was talking in similar terms about, you know, players having a brand and a brand in terms of like, you know, a story, a backstory, a, 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 a bio, if you will. And then, you know, and, and Ben Thompson last week, just, just like the league running away from, from the game being the thing. And it seems like you want to talk to players about the game they just played so that fans can learn more about the game they just played. I right. think for a lot of fans, that's sort of, that's, that's, that's the follow through. That's the dessert that, you know, kind of completes the experience, whether it's, whether, you know, you're reading the next day about a game you went to, or you're getting the game that like the, you know, the post game, you know, quotes from a game you just watched on TV. And it seems like running away from that just is, it's, 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 you know, it's cutting off your nose to spite, you know, whatever, you know, whatever annoyances there are. Yeah. For me, the, the job for the, for beat guys has never changed. Like beat guys and gals have been after the same things always, you know, trying to tell the story of the game, the best, like the game is the product. There's a reason why we travel uh, to all these games is to tell the story of what happens in the game as well as possible. And, uh, you know, I think there's been some missteps by the league in, you know, leaning as hard into the transaction game as they have. Um, I think if the only thing you uh, and your media partners um, talk about in pregame of a Bucks game is where Giannis is going to go instead of how good Giannis is at basketball or whatever it is, like that's on you and your media partners. Like you made the decision to rather than tell, you know, I guess this is in wrestling terms, like a short-term versus a long-term story. Like, cool. You, you got a great pop that night. You got a great pop because you decided to say Giannis is going to go to Golden State. When if you would have discussed what's going on and, you know, why Steph Curry is good in Golden State and why Giannis is good in Milwaukee and what those two teams have been building, then all of a sudden when the Bucks win a championship, the story you're telling is deeper and more interesting than, oh, well, I guess he's going to stay there now. Okay, what star? Zion Williamson. Okay, where's Zion going to go? Let's see if we can get some cheap pops on that tonight. Like, it's just the, to me, and again, I, I'm not like everyone else. Obviously, everyone knows I'm a basketball addict, and that's why I think I uh, have made any ground in this job is like I'm obsessed with basketball. I really love basketball. I want to tell the story of the game. To do that well, like I need that access to keep doing that. And maybe that makes me a weirdo that I want to talk about basketball as much as I do, but I, I believe I'm the Bucks beat writer, so I should talk about the Bucks playing basketball. Um, this, and not to, not to like, you know, blow smoke on you, but, um, I think that your desire to talk about basketball and the game that just happened in the terms of basketball is something that's, that's allowed you to form better relationships with players. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Like the, the, I mean, my relationship with Giannis is built on basketball. It's not, it's not built on anything else. Like it's built on the fact that six years ago when we were sitting in the Bradley center together, I was asking him about his decision-making on the first five side pick and rolls that he got to run uh, as Jason Kidd turned him into a point guard. Like that, that's, that's why like we have the connection that we do. Not because, you know, I wrote some great thing about his latest, uh, his latest partnership. 
um, or, or anything like that. Like we're basketball addicts and <laughs> we like talking basketball with each other. Like that's, that's what it's built on. And to me, like that's always why like the locker room access is important because I want to talk basketball with people. And the best way to talk basketball with people is in person after it happened, before it happens, like when you're in the arena, cause that's what you want to talk about when you're in that moment. I think the best example of that was, I think it was before the Brooklyn series last year. And you asked a you asked a question of Giannis that started off with criticism. Um, it was basically it was I mean like I'm paraphrasing, but but you were saying, hey, you know, you're obviously you know you won all defense, you won defensive player of the year. Um, you know, guarding wing scores is not your biggest strength, and um, and I think you've probably phrased it a little nicer than that, but it was it was clearly framed as you know sort of hey, this isn't the thing you're best at, and because of that relationship and probably because of, 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 you know, Giannis being as honest as he is, he was, instead of like bristling at that, he's like, no, it's a really good point. It's a good question. And kind of gave you a really good answer about, about that, where if you're just some, some dude who shows up for the second round of the playoffs, cause it's box nets. There's there, like, if that question even gets answered, it's going to be boilerplate. Absolutely. And, and again, like, that's what we're talking about, or at least that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about the importance of locker room access. Like, that that question and that information and that access for NBA fans going into that series, because the biggest question going into that series was, can Giannis guard Durant? Will the Bucks put Giannis on Durant? That was what everyone wanted to know, because I had put in the work for a better part of a decade and I'd built that relationship and I'd built that trust where Giannis knows that on the biggest stage when he's on a Zoom call, I'm not trying to embarrass him. Like I'm asking him a a basketball question no different than the thousands of basketball questions I've already asked him. Like because we built that, we were able to, like he was able to have that trust in he created a piece of content for the world that made everyone think about that series and made that series way more interesting because every time he got switched on to Durant or covered him for a three minute period, you could think about, Oh yeah, he said that he isn't great at getting over screens, but he's the best seven footer in the world to do it. So like, let's see how he does it and let's see if he can do it in this situation or how that affects the Bucks defense. Like, to me, that's that's the that's the the answer is when it comes to access. Like the reason why we want that access is so that we can build that type of relationship, and that can only happen if I'm in the locker room for the last seven years asking him questions about basketball. And not to belabor the point, but as you said, that makes the series more interesting. I wanted to like maybe even if just on the margins. I want to tune in to watch this because this sounds like a special confrontation and, you know, and, you know, it was, I think like um, some other members of our, of our group, of our group chat have described some of the games of that series as a quasi religious experience. Oh, that was Um, me. And no, Sam Amick makes fun of me to this day for describing games five and seven of that series in Brooklyn as religious experiences. But for someone that loves basketball in the way that I do, that was an, that was a religious experience. It was unbelievable. It was so great. I had so much fun. I will, uh, I will, I hope to do this job for many more years. I don't know if I will ever see two better games than those two. Um, it was unbelievable. It was so much fun. Um, and yeah, that's what it should be. It should be about the basketball it should, and, and giving me the access to go in and ask questions and do the, do my thing. Like that makes the basketball better. So last topic, and then we'll, then we'll get you out of here. And if anyone listening has, has questions for Eric, um, I'm, I'm sure he'll be, he'll, he'll uh, now that we've spent this time together, uh, he'll, he'll, he'll have the trust to answer them for you. But so you're, you're from Wisconsin. That is correct. You grew up a Bucks fan. Uh, correct. Um, how does that mesh with covering the team? I think we've, we've, we've all kind of seen, the dangers of sort of the fanalists. Sure. Um, um, 
So I'll, I'll do you the credit of saying that that's not you. How do you avoid that? Is it, is it weird that this is the team you cover? Have you ever wished that you, there was a team you could cover that you were perhaps more detached from, you know, from that long-term emotional sense? I don't think so. Um, you know, I think for me, it has, it's paid off because I think because I've been essentially a lifelong Wisconsinite, um, you know, aside from like going away for college, um, I can understand what it meant to win the first championship in 50 seasons. Cause I can hear, you know, stories from my dad or my uncles or whoever, or, or my sister or, or whatever, about like, you know, how it was to be a Bucks fan. Um, and you know, the team stunk or in the eighties, they couldn't get over the humps or, you know, it, it, you watch the team fall apart in the seventies. Once they had a trade away cream, like you just hear all that stuff. And to me, it makes me better at my job because I can understand the viewpoint of who are going to be my primary readers. Like obviously there'll be readers from, from different locales and, and people, you know, who are just picking up the bucks now. Um, but for the most part, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna find out the, like I'm gonna already know the backstory. I, I don't need to do any research. I don't need to learn anything about the team or how people have felt about the team for the last couple decades. I know that. I, I lived that. I get it. Um, all of that to me makes my job easier. And then, you know, from a fan perspective like turning off like the fan portion of it. I've never really found that particularly hard. Um, just because like I've, I've covered a lot of games. Um, I, I don't view myself as a Bucks fan uh, at this point. I don't, they're, they're like very few things in my life that I consider myself like still able to put on my fan hat for. Like, I think it's about U.S. soccer, and that's probably it. I think that's, like, all I got left in, in the fandom bucket, um, both men's and women's, um, which is boo. I mean, it, yeah, the women's part is good. The, the men's part, not so good. Um, but, like, I don't view myself as a Bucks fan. I, I don't, I'm not thinking about, you know, the fan experience or anything like that. Like, I'm thinking about, like, how do I learn as much about this team as possible? And that's the only thing. I'm concerned about the only thing that I'm thinking about. So, and, and it's an interesting thing that I, that I sort of found working in sports is that um, as, as you sort of mentioned, it didn't just kill my, like I, I'm a fan of good basketball and that maybe that leads to certain players that I enjoy right. and certain players I don't enjoy. Um, you, you can probably name some of those names if you want or not, if you don't want to, I'm um, good. I'm good. Yeah. We, uh, just, you know, we talked to Chris Harrington, uh, earlier this week and, and Dylan Brooks came up. So <laughs> who, who um, you love. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, sure. If you want, if you want that to, if you want to put that out there as some, yeah. as some false content, but yes. Um, sure. no, but it's just, it's it, the way that just being in it every day, just sort of like, you know, your, your appreciation of it grows, but sort of your fandom and really for, for sports in general almost fades away. Yeah. I mean, I think there's like, you know, how the sausage is made to too much of an extent (laughs) that (laughs) it's like, all of it's like not as fun as you once thought it was. Uh, Like you just know how it's made and it's like, okay, well, I'm just going to do my job because I don't really want to think about whatever. Like I don't want to spend any extra time um, thinking about these things. Like I don't want to spend my spare time thinking about these things in another sport where knowing what I know about how the bucks are run, that team is probably okay. Yeah. Nope. I just, I just saw the documentary on the sausage being made. Nope. I'm good. Like I've, I've lived it. I don't (laughs) want to do that anymore. So, so not even with the Packers. No, I, I mean, my, my fandom is like U.S. soccer. May, you could get me up for a Brewers game. I, I get up for like Brewers playoff games. And, and I do, I also do think part of that is um, during the off season, I like being outside and I like drinking beer. Um, and 
you know, for all of the things that baseball might be doing wrong, um, and, you know, like the owner's not caring about the game, the owner's locking out the players, you know, all of that stuff. Um, the one thing that is very nice is, you know, you can head down to Miller Park, have a few beers, get a little tan, uh, and maybe see somebody sock a couple dingers, and you're going to have a good day. Like, it's it's just... That to me is still enjoyable. So maybe maybe you could say I have some Brewers fandom left, but that's about it. Brewers fandom in U.S. soccer. That's all I got. Well, there you go. Um, anything else that we should we should touch on? I know you gotta you gotta get to get to cover practice today, but uh, anything else that uh, you think we haven't touched on that uh, is particularly interesting about the Bucks heading into this sort of the last quarter of the season? I don't think so. I think we're at the point where Bucks fans are tired of me talking about how important <laughs> Brooke Lopez is. Um, if they weren't already years ago, um, this year has really kind of dr- driven that point home. So. Well, you, you know you'll never get me to, to, to countermand the, the, the notion that Brooke Lopez <laughs> is, is incredibly important and has been to the Bucks for the last several years. But, that is uh, correct. Um, but, you know, thanks a lot for, for coming on. It's, uh, it was high time we did this. And, uh, and um, I imagine I will we'll try again uh, as we get closer to the playoffs when uh, when we really see what what the Bucks look like in that uh, what the roster looks like the available roster looks like coming on the stretch. For sure, I can't wait. Cool. Well, thanks a lot, Eric, for coming on. I am back tomorrow with uh, Ben Lindbergh, author of the MVP Machine and the only rule it ha- the only rule is it has to work. It's sort of two books about the. Uh, application of analytics to baseball uh including the mvp machine which i think is is a book i've recommended to a number of, of kind of player development people in basketball is a really a marvelous book about how kind of analytics and data have started to uh percolate into the realm of player development in baseball and how that might apply to basketball so i'm really looking forward to that chat with uh ben Lindbergh tomorrow so hopefully you, you join me for that and uh thanks a lot for listening everyone